hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another fabulous show uh, with Richie and myself. And this week, Richie and myself are very privileged to have Orlando Wood on the show, a name famous and synonymous with modern marketing. Um, Orlando is Chief Innovation Officer at System One, of course. Now, uh, I would say that System One has probably become, or at least becoming, the go-to methodology to understand and benchmark performance of advertising. Uh, And we'll come on to that in a a lot more detail, but just a bit more about Orlando. Um, Prior to System One, Orlando had, I think, about 12 years at Brainducer, uh, another research institution, and then prior to that, seven years at Simon Godfrey Associates, and I had to say, have to say, Orlando, when I looked that up, I couldn't find too much about it, so you'll have to fill in the blanks there. Um, but he joined System One five years ago and has, um, I suppose, become more and more famous, particularly through the work he's done in terms of publishing the book Lemon, How the Advertising Brain Turns Out, about the decline in creativity uh, in advertising and a big dip into the psychology and science of advertising. And then more recently, 2021, the book Lookout, about creativity and effectiveness in a changing world. Um, Orlando's uh, a sharp lad. He's got a master's in research studies in Ox- from Oxford University. Um, so you're going to get um, a pretty punchy view of the world, and particularly the world of advertising. He's also an honorary fellow of the IPA. Um, so Orlando, the surprise bit that you didn't know about yourself was that I just asked John, uh, John Evans from System One, um, to say a few words about who is Orlando. Yeah. So um, this is what he said. Orlando is without doubt one of the legends of our industry. I've never met anyone with his unique ability to see how history, culture, and neuroscience have shaped how advertising works and to provide so much clarity on how to do great work. He also brings wit, charm, and rich insight to every conversation that I've watched on countless occasions, how people are gripped what he has has to say. Unsurprisingly, he is also a talented artist and pianist, as well as being irritatingly young and good-looking for his age. <laughs> He's a true gentleman. So there was you go. A, was a decent type. Well, thank you, John. That's yeah, and um, we, we forgot to say that if you can, if you do want to do a little sort of piano virtuoso thing uh, mid-interview, then you're, of course, welcome. But, but sadly, the piano's downstairs, so uh, no, that's not going to be possible. But Another time, but for now, time. you're very welcome, Orlando. Great that's to have you on the show. There lightly. Well, fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, look, it's an absolute pleasure, Orlando. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, I was, I was hoping for an intermission break of a little pianist sort of... Uh, <laughs> Sort of prelude, but of course, not not to happen today. It could have been a first. I'm sure. Yeah, there are clips on YouTube. If you if you look if you search for Orlando Wood piano, you'll probably find a few things there that, uh, yeah, there that we go. might interest you. But you know what's interesting? Mark Mark failed to mention one thing. Of course, he mentioned the fact that you studied uh, research methods at Oxford. But what he didn't, or he failed to mention, that those research methods were were in the 17th century French literature. Gosh, you've done your research. Yeah, Isn't that absolutely. amazing? I, yeah, I found well, it fascinating. Well, it was it was very interesting. It, it actually it does sort of um, 
prefigure some of the work I've been doing recently because I was looking at the changing literary styles and cultural styles in the 17th century through the work of a chronicler called Talmont de Rio. And he, he, he collected uh, stories and poems and bits of things. He was a scurrilous gossip merchant. And over a period of about 50 years in his manuscript, you can see the changes in literary style, changes in culture, changes in society, actually. And it, it occurred to me, you know, not long ago, that, of course, this is what I've been doing with advertising um, in the book Lemon um, more recently. And, uh, you know, it was perhaps not so strange a thing uh, to have been doing, um, it, you know, that, that study of, of that far away, long ago time. You know, Andrew, it reminds me of that classic quote by Steve Jobs, right? You can only join the dots in hindsight. Yes. This yes. certainly seems like one of those moments. I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> oh, amazing. Look, Orlando, I'm going, to, I'm going to go right into the depths um, and, uh, and just sort of ask, you know, Mark alluded to, to the, the work that you've done, both at System One, but more specifically on how the brain and chemistry works, particularly from an advertising perspective and how advertisers can can get underneath the, the, the thinking of their consumers. So I would love, love for you just to do a slight explanation for us of some of your key findings and thoughts at the moment on that area. Yeah, sure. Well, look, um, I've been looking at um, advertising and how it works for a number of years and work with the IPA quite a lot with their data and Peter Field. But I've been applying, I suppose, thinking from psychology and neuroscience to try to understand what it is that, that captures attention, what it is that elicits an emotional response, uh, what it is that puts things in long-term memory, all of which are you know, hugely important for advertising and particularly brand building advertising, the sort of advertising that I think we need to be spending more on, not less today in this digitally disrupted post-pandemic world. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that, that's the sort of what I, what I do. And I've, I've looked at the work of a number of psychologists, of course, Daniel Kahneman, um, and his ideas about the two modes of thought, the modes of, of, of judgment and thought. So system one and system two, so fast thinking or slow thinking. And I think that's very important and helps to set out, you know, the three things that I think marketeers should be thinking about when they're you know trying to establish and build their brand and that's um in my language i suppose fame feeling and fluency so you need to uh, get your brand um thought of first you know you need to be in the room <laughs> when people are thinking about which which uh, which brand to go with what what product to use fame and the way to do that is um and that's you know mental availability and that's coming to mind quickly, coming to mind very fast. And, you know, people learn very gradually over time in order to make very quick decisions in the moment. And that's what system one really is. And that's you know, what advertisers, I think, need to remember. So uh, you, do, you, you start to what, so what goes into long term memory, what raises this sort of mental availability? Well, two other things, feeling and fluency. So feeling is you know the the affect heuristic so being able to make a judgment really quickly based on you know sort of whether you feel it's good or not um and that answers a, a more difficult question as daniel kahneman would say you know is this is this right or not um and then you know you, this last one fluency so how quickly does something come to mind how easy is it to process how distinctive is it how recognizable 
is it? Um, because the things that, you know, uh, if you can create those assets, those characters, those, um, those, those, I suppose, shortcuts, all of these things are mental shortcuts for people, the more likely it is you're going to be chosen. So that, that you know, is that work looking at Daniel Kahneman that, uh, and others, uh, Gigerenza and others, that, that sort of led to this idea that, you know, we're fast and frugal thinkers and um, we trust these easy, quick decisions often, um, you know, um, over, over and we don't deliberate for a long time, you know, in many cases. And that's I think that's that's the heart of system one. And then and then, you know, over recently, I've been looking at the work of another neuroscientist called um, Ian McGilchrist and a philosopher. Uh, and he, you know, has some incredible uh, insights on how the brain attends to the world. So looking at attention, looking at the way that we we react to the world around it, and the way that, that the way that we the way that we think, um, the way that we view things, you know, will will influence, you know, the obviously our our kind of outcomes. And um, he he's the expert, I think, on brain lateralization, the two halves of the brain and how they how they attend to the world. But perhaps more of that in a minute. Well, um, Orlando, you've given everyone a, a sort of a, a, um, a toe in the water <clears throat> to what it all entails. I have to say, uh, being out of the week, system one out of the week is an accolade in marketing um, that people you know aspire to. Um, a bit like it's a sort of campaigns out of the oh, week. Very nice of you to say so. But it's but it's based in science, and 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 I think that's that's a key point. Um, you, for those who are listening back, you won't see that I've got a couple of the direct line advertising characters uh, <laughs> on, on the wall behind me, and and, and system one was brilliant because it showed that even though we had amazing success with the Winston Wolf campaign. Um, Every execution that we've done since with the Transformers, and we're on it with um, Bumblebee and Robocop, et cetera, mm. was better than in any of the preceding, mm. which was a surprising finding and very helpful inside the organization just to add a bit of um, a bit of grit to the conversation about what we we're trying to do. So I'd, I'd just like to build on what you said to say, how, do, how have you turned that into a methodology to prove advertising yeah. effectiveness? Yeah, well, we've, we, you know, we, we've been working on this for a fair number of years and we've developed a way of, um, I suppose gauging emotional response to any ad that we uh, test. In fact, we test every ad that airs in the UK and the US on TV uh, as a matter of course. So we've got an you know, enormous database, seventy plus thousand ads, um, and we we show people an ad and we ask them how they feel about it by using a set of uh, faces, pictor pictures, um, based on the work of a psychologist called Paul Ekman. Seven basic emotions, you know, happiness, fear, surprise, disgust, anger. So, um, I, there are probably others. Um, and, and neutrality, you know, it could be that people feel nothing after they've seen it. And that's, you know, emotion is really important because it orientates our attention, first of all, but it also helps to put things in long term memory. And it helps us, as I said, to make decisions quickly between things in future. And so what brand building, advertising in particular, uh, you know, needs to do is, is, all, is all of those things. Um, and so emotion is the best proxy for um, effectiveness. And we've linked emotional response and the ability of a, of a campaign to, to grow market share, looking at, at, at you know, market share data and, uh, over the years. 
And uh, that's that's what our star rating system is based on from one star through to five star, very simple um, kind of grading system. And, you know, you, you want to be performing better than your your competitors on that measure for your ad in your in your advertising. And, and you know, because we measure every ad, we kind of know in any category, you know, how any given company is performing. And what you find that works well, of course, in emotional response terms is uh, characters, the living, uh, something emerging from the scene that's slightly out of the ordinary. Uh, the, you know, this time, things unfolding in, in, in real lived time as opposed to short, sharp cuts. Um, music rather than rhythmic soundtracks. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of uh, betweenness, the connection between characters on the, on, on the screen as opposed to this sort of me telling you you know what to think and do um so so uh, and actually over the year what my work has shown is that we've we've moved away a bit from that kind of work in the last 15 years or so and that we've moved towards a kind of more mechanistic style of advertising with words on the screen short sharp cuts you know highly rhythmic um that this kind of stare at the camera um, you know, um, loss of betweenness, loss of music, some, many, many of those things that really connect with people. Orlando, can I just delve into that for a second and yeah. ask, why do you think that is the case? Because there seems to be this constant tussle in marketing and an endless debate, which I'm sure you probably have every day, which is the difference between performance marketing, advertising and brand building advertising. And why do we feel that the sort of the pendulum is sort of swinging in that direction then? And, and what do you think, therefore, is the... Um, what do you think you would like to see happen to get back to that major yeah. effectiveness? Yeah, well, it's a you know it's a very big question, Richie. You know, I've I've written two books on it, and and I I've, I've drawn on the work of Ian McGilchrist, who is the a brilliant neuroscientist I mentioned earlier, and he talks about how the left and the right hemispheres have different modes of attention. So um, this is the same in people, mammals, birds, um, you know. Let me just talk about birds for a minute, because that's probably quite a helpful way to, to make the, the case. In birds, the left hemisphere of the, of the brain controlling their right eye is what's, what's, what's being used when they're pecking around on the ground, trying to pick up those grains of food, you know, to identify what they are, whether they can eat them or not, categorize them, uh, you know, really narrow attention, very narrow beam. And then the, the right hemisphere controlling the left eye in birds um, is broad and vigilant in its attention. It's looking around it. Um, it's making sure that it doesn't become someone else's lunch. You know, it's open to novelty and, and unusual things. And it's, all, it's, it's, it's the right hemisphere of the brain in birds, but all, in people too, that presents the world to us. It's got this broad beam attention. And what I think's been happening um, over the last, uh, you know, sort of 15 20 years, but certainly in this digital age, particularly, you know, kind of acutely in the last five years, is that our attention has been gradually narrowing. Uh, we're looking down and in at our uh, mobile devices. You know, we're, we're starting to lose this broad beam attention. We're becoming left brain dominant, which uh, and that brings to the fore different styles of thinking, styles of thinking which um, you like to categorize things, people. Um, it's very linear. It's very literal. 
Um, it can't bear ambiguity. You know, it can't deal with metaphor or, or humor. You know, the right hemisphere is what tells the difference between a joke and a, and a lie. Um, and the left hemisphere is very rigid. It's very fixed, um, very brittle. Anger lateralizes to the left hemisphere as well. Um, also, left hemisphere dominance is associated with addiction, I should say, too. So it's very goal orientated. And we've lost this sort of other way of being, you know, which is more associated with the right hemisphere. And you can see it in culture. You can see it in advertising. So when you see those words on the screen, by the way, words, you know, uh, language is, is one of the things that is predominantly in the left hemisphere, although the right hemisphere has important contributions to make. You know, you, words on the screen, short, sharp cuts, because the left hemisphere has no bearing of live time. It, it cuts, it atomizes time. You know, whereas the right hemisphere is, is all about live time. Um, it's really much better at space and depth, you know, appreciation. So in advertising, things have become flat. They've become word focused. They've become uh, very rhythmic. Uh, they've become quite self-conscious, which is what the left hemisphere really is. The right hemisphere is very self-aware. Um, and we've lost some of that humour and we've lost the metaphor that we used to have, uh, metaphors which are helpful for structuring long-term campaigns. The left hemisphere is more impetuous. Um, it's less likely to you know, take the long view. It's not very good at looking back either. It hate, you know, it can't deal with the past. Um, it's a, cult, a massive cultural change that we're going through. And in my books, I draw parallels with, you know, about 1900, 1905, massive technological leap then. And also, you know, 1500 with the printing presses and everything that they um, brought with them. We've seen you know, hints of what we're going through now, I think, in culture in previous eras. And um, you can see it in the art of those periods and you can see it in the art and advertising and culture of today, too. Fascinating, Orlando. I think you've just given everyone a mini masterclass in the way the brain works. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a leap here and try, try and apply it to you. So oh gosh! Stri strikes me that you, you, you know, you're part of running a, a business, System One, and yeah. there's a, a cadence and a, a delivery and a throughput and probably quite sort of left brain. But at the same time, you're out there foraging for <laughs> new, new and original thought, writing books, yeah. going to be a bit. More, so, so I, I don't know, maybe it's an oversimplification, but how, how do you apply your thinking around the brain to your world? Your to my world? Well, to, to, to my work, I can tell you a bit about that. And um, I suppose that, you know, there, there are, it does require a different style of, you know, it, uh, thinking. You know, I, I said this recently uh, to someone that, you know, so, I, I when I if I go for lunch with um with some uh, friends creative uh, friends, um you know we may all have a sort of agenda in our minds you know but we don't tackle it in a one two three four kind of way. We let the conversation flow and you give yourself time to enjoy the company of others and let the let the sort of agenda emerge. And you get to better results as a as a as, as a as a as a result. Um, you know, you 
tackle things obliquely. And sometimes you have to hold many thoughts and many ideas at once in your mind and you just let them sort of settle. And gradually over time they connect and you end up with something new. John Cleese talks about, you know, what are the five things that are needed for creativity? And he says it's time, play, uh, space, time, <laughs> um, uh, confidence and humor. And it does take time to, as he puts it, just to let your mind rest up gen gently against the subject. And you just have to keep sort of reading around, talking to people, have multiple conversations, you know, at once. Um, just trust yourself that something is going to come of what you're doing. And eventually, you know, it does. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've seen the Beatles Get Back um, uh, documentary on Disney Plus, but it, I mean, it's, it's a really long uh, documentary, absolutely brilliant. I think everyone should be in, in, in you know, every C-suite uh, member of every company should be forced to watch all whatever it is, eight hours of it. Because when you watch it, you get this sense that, you know, but they're just messing about most of the time. What they're doing, that's the important bit. Because, you know, it looks like, I mean, a lot of the time they're doing covers of other people and just playing with each other. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll, something will emerge, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a, a you know, a, a melody or something or a set of chords that come out of something. And then, you know, at first the words don't come. It's sort of blah, 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 blah. You know, I think McCartney, you know, yesterday was scrambled eggs, wasn't it? The first lyrics, um, the words don't really matter, but the, the, the music comes and then, um, you know, it all just somehow comes together. And that, that is, that is what creativity I think is, is about. If it's anything, it's the, emergence of something you know um as channeled i think by the by the right hemisphere this broad and, and, and type of attention so i don't know if that that helps but i i suppose you kind of just have to trust that something will come and and people don't like to hear that the left brain doesn't like to hear that very much it's what on earth are you doing you know what's going on we, want, we need to see your processes you know we want to see how you're going to get from a to b to c to d that's not how creativity really works it's a, a, it, just a follow-up question then is, is you hit the nail on the head that um, that requires a lot of trust uh, to allow people slash marketers the freedom. And space. And, and indeed their agencies yeah. the free, space time to, to play. Um, so just, I, is, is, that why, is that why we're losing that a bit? Because Partly. the decline in trust? I think the, you know, the digital world has sped things up hasn't it and it's and it's removed um it's removed place in a way it's removed um difference of place and and uh you see that in the global ad you know um which sort of is supposed to work everywhere but works nowhere particularly well um you know you've you, this it's it's sped things up and and it's forced us into ways of working you know where we're we're sat at our desk with our headphones on most of the time in open plan offices where we're crushed together tightly you know adrian holmes the creative um great creative it's uh, who i've worked with says um you know three things have changed one is that um uh you know we've got less time first one the second is uh lunch lunch has gone 
um, which is a sort of free time for conversation ideas and to understand your client and what's going on. Um, and the third one is the door. The door has disappeared on the creative's room. You know, everyone's in open plan offices and the door gives you a space to mess about, be silly, um, try things uh, that you can't really do in an open plan office. So, um, you know, there, there have been a lot of changes uh, in not just, you know, technology, but I think the way that we are in the office. I love that. I love your analogy of lunch, by the way. That was incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> and uh, so time, lunch and the door as well. A lovely, yeah. a lovely follow on sort of key, key phrases there. And I wonder and I, I just wonder if um, as a consequence, and I'm sure it's no doubt you'd have seen the advert that I'm about to refer to. But this for me is sort of the antithesis of some of the things you're talking about, which is the, the Super Bowl Coinbase advert. Oh, yes. It sort of yes. broke the Internet, as it was, they say. Um, and I love just to get your thoughts. So I'm going to be devil's advocate for a second then, right? Because clearly that was a super successful ad. And so then why, why do we need to have the fame, feeling and fluency and frequency rather when you've got a Coinbase ad, but you just stick a QR code on there for a minute? Well, it's, you know, it's highly uh, disruptive, isn't it? In that, in that of, of all, of all uh, places to put your advertising um, and it's highly transactional. Actually, it's, you know, it re reminds me very much of how the left brain works. You know, it's like a, it's an engineering solution, isn't it? Let's put the QR code up there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting when it, it, that it should, you know, and, and great, you know, I think it's great to try, wonderful to try these things, whether it will result in the, the memory structures required to create you know, lasting salience for the brand is another matter. It's more of a kind of response ad, really. I mean, it's the ultimate response ad. Um, it's, not a, it's not a brand building ad. And, you know, it kind of assumes an interest in a way in, in, what, in whatever this thing is that's being flashed up on the screen. And, and many people will have done it and, and have done it. Um, so I think it's a very different way of uh, it's the it's the it's the it's the purest form of response ad, isn't it? Um, and uh, you know it's a it's a very different way of doing marketing, and and response and, and performance and activation advertising is all, all very important. But it, it tends to work better when you have a strong brand and when when you've created it, you know, when you have very strong brand building advertising alongside it. It, it's yeah. I mean, essentially, it's a, it was a stunt, wasn't it? It's not particularly campaignable. Something that they could be famous for. Um, I, there was another one I saw. It was a, a Neom, uh, not to be confused with Neon. Um, have launched NFTs through physical vending machines. Mm. You go to a vending machine and you buy, you know, buy it with your credit card through a yeah. physical, like, like you buy a Snickers bar or a can of Coke, um, and inside is a capture with a QR code to buy NFTs. Um, now that's not that's not a brand strategy. It's not a distribution strategy. It's a stunt. Yeah. So so then so at the other end of the spectrum, um, what, what, what's what's the very best ad you've ever scored through the system on approach? Oh goodness! What are some of the bangers? Some of the bangers. Um, well, in recent, in I mean in in recent uh, times, 
the Aldi Kevin the Carrot ads have done very well. You know, characters doing doing things. Um, uh, you know, we going back. You know, perhaps the first ad that we tested that was that was you know off the charts was the of course the Cadbury Gorilla ad, and, and um, you know, whilst everyone else was sort of scratching their heads a bit, you know, it was amongst the public. It was wow, this is you know, it's kind of random, but it's it's was <laughs> extremely strong. Um, and over the years, we looked at John Lewis as so Monty the Penguin, um, in particular, I think was was very very strong uh, in in the way that 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 connected with with the general public. So that you know there are, there are lots of um, lots of examples. Anyway, Jonathan Warburton and the Warburtons ads, um, uh, you know, with the, the way that that they've they've used a kind of a repeated scenario and a character in Jonathan Warburton and that what I call a fluent device, you know, one of these devices that keeps on running. Very effective. Um, there are some examples. Um, I like the Yorkshire Tea work. That's tested very well as well. Um, you know, Sean Bean and, uh, and, uh, and, and others um, who starred in that. But, but, you know, we've even tested advertising that goes back um, to, you know, the sort of 70s and 80s, and it still works well. So, examples being the water in Mallorca ad for Heineken, um, still scoring, you know, what is it, 4.8 stars, something like that. And uh, the Hovis boy on a bike ad, you know, five stars still. Uh, some of these things, you know, they, they're connecting um, even today with, with new, younger audiences. So, you know, we, we mustn't think that these things don't, um, don't have a shelf life. Now, Orlando, you did mention any direct line ads or church. And direct line. Well, I, 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 company I mean, we, we pre-agreed that we wouldn't we wouldn't do that. Exactly. Obviously, obviously, they're on the list, but you know, yeah, yeah. of course they are. Know. But I, I didn't want to. I, you know, I thought it. I was being inappropriate, didn't we? Wink, wink. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, guys. I tell you what, the number the number of plugs that Mark has done in this show for for direct line is unbelievable. <laughs> There you go, Mark. Well, it's, it's superb work, Mark, as you know. And, uh, you know I, but I, we weren't going to talk about it. Exactly. Kidding, kidding. Right, guys, listen. Um, I, interestingly, I, I was at Festival of Marketing last week. Fantastic uh, sessions that took place there. And um, I sat in a session. And I won't name the, the brand that was in there. But they talked a lot about the role of creative intelligence. And I suspect this is the coming together of sort of performance-based optimization with creativity and, the, and the, the sense that you can, you know, you can have a formula that streaks through creativity. And, you know, if you, if you have a certain person at this moment in time, and if you say this at this moment in time, and if you have this color card this moment in time, you know, and all that kind of stuff, it seems to, advertising seems to work better than not. Has that been your experience, Orlando? Well, I'd love to hear more about it. Um, uh well, I mean, there's some of the things you touch on there suggest, suggest you know, the right time, the right person, the right, you know, um, you know, how do you how do you make it very personalized? Uh, I think there's a place for all of that. But, you know, to, to grow um, brands and establish brands, you do need you do need reach. You need reach and you need to be able to connect with as many people as possible and those other things you mentioned you know will will, will be in support of that 
But, you know, one of the questions I ask in my recent book is with, with so much spend going to, uh, you know, more targeted advertising and online advertising and even addressable TV, you know, where is the stage for our brand building show? Where is this sort of, where, where, are, we, where are we going to do this? And, you know, that, that one of the, one of the you know, it's quite, it, it's relatively easy, easy inverted commas, to speak to people you know who will, who will, you know, most likely be very receptive to your brand and product. The real challenge is trying to create work that will appeal to everyone, whether or not they're in the, in the category, in the buying window for your brand. And that means advertising that entertains, basically, advertising that creates an interest in the brand, in the product, not one that assumes it's already there. And that's the, that's, that, I think, is the real challenge of, of advertising, the difficult job of brand building, advertising, creating something that everyone's going to connect with in some way. So, Orlando, let's, um, let's go back in time a little. Uh, what runs through everything you've said is an innate curiosity uh, to, to join dots, to find original thinking, etc. Can you say where you think that innate curiosity comes from in your your development? Yeah, well, I think there are a few things. You, you, um, you know, I'm interested in in, in people. I suppose um, some people are, are interested in in things and mechanisms and you know machines um i'm i suppose i'm interested in people and uh what 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 makes them tick how 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 this um manifests itself in in advertising i've always i've always loved advertising i'm talking to my dad you know i was little about the great ads we loved um and trying to explain people is i think is 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 much more difficult, but actually very rewarding than trying to explain how things work. And we're not things, you know, we are um, complex creatures, you know, so what, what makes us laugh? You know, I, I, I love talking about humor and what it is. I mean, it's very dif- difficult to define. I've had a go. Um, that, that, is, that is, you know, very interesting and very useful, it seems to me, if you're trying to connect with an audience. As Jeremy Bullmore once said to me, you know, if someone laughs, it's a sign that a connection's been made. So, so you know, there's um, uh, yeah, I think I think I'm interested in people and uh, how they react to things, how uh, how they relate to things, and I'm interested in um, finding new ways of of talking about. Uh, I, I suppose the the way that the way that marketing works and ways which actually most people find they can understand intuitively, but probably haven't had articulated in a scientific or or you know, way, you know, or in a way that is easy to grasp. And I hope I'm I'm doing that. Um, you know, so you you kind of I think I think you you need something to push press up against as well so people often need something to push against and um you know you need to feel quite passionately about what you're doing to give you the energy to explore and and um you know try things and i I would also say don't miss you know 
don't um, feel that intuition has no place because intuition is really important. If you feel that there is something here, that's how many great scientific discoveries are made, except that they are um, post-rationalized often afterwards. But, you know, uh, it's often intuition or accident or uh, that where great things come from. So, uh, you know, don't, don't, you always need to, to put intuition, you know, trust your intuition. If you feel that there's something here that needs exploring, go for it. Amazing. By the way, I just love, love what you just said. If someone laughs, a connection has been made. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. And I, it's so true, isn't it? When, you, when, you, when you're in a room and suddenly, you know, you have that spark and you just get taken out of the moment of a, perhaps a serious conversation by some sort of anecdote that someone pulls out on you. And it's all, it all changes the entire atmosphere and it changes the entire dynamic yeah, uh, it does. in that room. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, uh, it's funny that, you know, uh, Wittgenstein said, you know, if you saw someone laughing, two people laughing on a bus, um, you know, and you, you, you were totally, you had never seen people before and you just saw you're an alien, you know, you sort of landed. Um, you'd wonder what on earth was going on. What, what's this sort of strange, you know, explosion, you know, that you see uh, when people laugh. Um, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a sense that a connection's being made. It's amazing. I just, I just had to follow up on that because you talked about the seven different types of emotions that, that one can use. And, uh, I just wonder in your mind and sort of talk, going back to the, the, the role of fame campaigns, is there a hierarchy of emotion? Because it feels like in sometimes, you know, you've got, I don't know, people using the sense of humor versus shock versus mm -hmm. uh, tear jerkers. But it feels like certainly at Christmas time, there's a lot more tear jerkers than there are sort of shock, fear yes. and, and yes. you know, laughable moments. So I just wondered if there's, you know, there's one emotion over index in becoming better than others. Well, the, 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 you know, we place great, a great uh, weight and, and great store in in happiness. So how you feel at the end of the ad, because when it comes to you know memories, we tend to we tend to prioritize uh, good things, uh, things that made us feel good. Um, they go into long term memory much more than uh, negative experiences and emotions. And we found that that's the one that predicts you know market share gain the best. Not to say that you can't or shouldn't use some of the emotion, other emotions to get there. So I mentioned John Lewis's Monty the Penguin ad earlier. Well, there's a great deal of sadness in that before the resolution at the end, you know, and, and that's what storytelling is, isn't it? There needs to be some sort of grit in the oyster often so that you, you sort of feel you've, you've sort of been through something. So, um, yeah, that, that, that I think is, is, you know, a surprise and happiness in particular, I think, is, is useful. Something happening, emerging from the scene that's slightly out of the ordinary, unexpected, you know, uh, uh, juxtapositions, uh, combinations, um, you know, a scenario that, that's perhaps familiar but changed slightly, spec savers, you know, should have gone spec savers, you know, it's a great example of a fluent device. These things... Um, these the, 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 these are the things that, uh, that, that connect and, and are really important. Well, Andy, you talked about intuition and the, the, some of my most enjoyable moments have been where the hairs have been standing up on the back of my neck, you know, in, in receiving creative work. Um, hmm, artificial intelligence. So I remember seeing a presentation a couple of years ago of uh, an AI producing as, an as effective ad 
apparently, as a human director and team. Uh, I think it was for chewing gum in China or something. Uh, now, now you are codifying yes. successful advertising. You're kind of building rules. Um, what, what, what do you think about the prospect of AI being involved in advertising development? Oh, gosh. Um, well, the, what, the, I remember we have tested an AI ad, um, and it did test as well as um, it was for a car brand, and it tested as well as most car ads. But I think that was more of a reflection on the, the rest of you know the rest of the category than it was the um, the uh, the ad itself. Um, I think you know I, I I sort of hate to think that my that that my work will lead to sort of a painting by numbers approach. You know, I sort of want people to absorb what I've I've written and then just sort of instinctively sort of feel what's, what's the right way to go. Um, could AI, uh, I'm sure AI uh, or augmented intelligence, we should probably call it, because I think it can probably help. It can help serve up examples. It can help serve to uh, show what other people might have done. You know, um, it can help to, to prov- serve up inspiration, I think. But I think ultimately the end product needs to have a person in it involved someone who has experienced the world who knows what people are about who has connected with people who knows something of the culture in which it will be received all of those things are essential for you know for 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 advertising to work and i i think it's going to be very difficult to create hugely effective certainly brand building work you know, using a computer alone, at least for the at the moment. Um, so, Alando, we talk. We've talked a lot about fame. We've talked a lot about feeling. I'd like to just move a little bit onto frequency. Flu- fluency was my third F. Sorry, fluency. 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 Yeah, this, this distinctiveness, me. ability to recognise things quickly. Forgive me. Yeah. Um, so, in which in which case, I do want to stick with my word though for the second because. Clearly, to get ingrained in memory structures, yeah. you need to constantly be reinforcing the yes. message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so to what extent, I mean, what role does that play? And, and do you see that there is a, uh, a potential, um, you know, at what point do diminishing returns sort of play out? Or is there an optimal sort of time, place, I don't know, um, thought around um, how to, to kind of hone in on frequency? Yes, there's a, I mean, I think um, there are advertising campaigns tend to wear out in the boardroom more quickly than they do amongst the general public if they're any if assuming they're any good and they're they're liked by the general public in the first place um so you know that they tend to be binned off uh when when uh, before their time often and certainly when you've got a long running uh you know you need to establish a bit of time to establish these things i mean they, they tend to you know very good at advertising with characters and interesting situations and dialogue and that kind of brand building advertising can can work in you know and what does work you know instantly but it also takes time to 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 establish itself amongst the population you know so they start talking about so they might even start using a sentence or two from the ad you know um uh simples uh so you know it takes time Funny, I was funny enough. I was in, um, I was at Hampton Court recently, and uh, actually, it's probably a couple of years ago now. And um, 
I saw someone sit in the throne. At the, there's a sort of throne, a pretend throne in the great hall. And he sat down and he, 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 he sort of went like this. Dilly dilly. And it's, of course, the Budweiser uh, campaign where they say dilly dilly. And there's always the king in the, in the throne at the front there. So the, these things still, you know, advertising is still, you know, part of the cultural language, vernacular. But I think it takes time for these things to establish and broad reach and time to, 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 to really get into, into your stride. And the, the, the challenge then is keeping it fresh. How do, we, how, do we have, how do we have an idea that keeps giving? And that's where I suppose, I suppose the fluent device, as I describe it, comes in. I mean, a bit like Snickers, you're not you when you're hungry. That, that, that I suppose, idea that enables you to, to do something again and again and again, but in slightly new and different ways. Specsavers, I think, will be another good example. Compare the market, I guess. Compare, I mean, mm-hmm. characters and compare the market, yes. Um, the way that, I mean, that's been going for what, 12 years now, at least. I mean, yeah. Um, the, you know, there are great long-running campaigns exist and still exist, you know, today. Uh, but, but, you know, the question is how to keep them fresh. And that's, that's, that's the creative part, I think. Um, you, you touched on a, a sort of a peeve point for me um, in that the judgment about wear out tends to be a very rational one. Yeah. And, with, where, and as the world changed, many other things changed. So many indicating metrics mature and develop. Um, and you, as you said it, you know, the, the public tires much less quickly. So do, do, do you... Um, do you measure? Do you have a methodology to measure wear out based on system one thinking? Well, we, you know, one of the things uh, that we have done is is test, um, you know, ads that have aired some time ago and retested them. Mm. So, uh, in fact, we did this during the pandemic. Uh, we we looked at ads that had aired the year before, and then tested them during the pandemic. Um, because, you know, we, we were interested to know, we thought it'd be useful to know, you know, do they still work or do or is, has the app environment changed so dramatically that, you know, things don't don't work as they did. And actually, what we found was that it was these um, particular fluent devices, you know, these characters or scenarios that are of this world but are slightly parallel to it you know a bit like the meerkats for instance you know they sort of we can understand that this is still going on in meerkat world you know uh, and it's okay that the meerkat world doesn't you know has nothing to do with the pandemic and carries on they they perform better in fact uh, than they had before because there is a sense of continuity there is a sense of uh, normality in a way in this strange world um, and it was the it was actually this mechanistic advertising that um, was not performing nearly you know nearly as well as as that so so there's a real sense that there is wear in as opposed to wear out for right-brained um, animal people character focused um, work and, and that you know it, it gets it gets stronger if anything this must be uh, music to mark's ears given the pictures that he has <laughs> behind him it's incredible there it you can go. only get better mark yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely brilliant 
Um, Orlando, look, we are really coming to the end of time. Honestly, I think we could have we could have, we could be talking here for the next couple of hours, but but in interest of your time, um, let me just pitch up the last question. You've had and left such a huge, huge impact already in in this industry. And uh, well, thank you. I, I just would like to ask if there was a legacy that you were going to choose. Clearly, you've already you're carving it out. But what would you want it to be? Oh gosh. Well, a legacy is, you know, something that is very important to me, actually. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to think that you might, on your short time on this earth, have, you know, contributed something to the world and to culture and to, I suppose my legacy would be that, um, would be to see changes in advertising, to see, um, you know, to have helped ad- advertising agencies, to have helped clients to together come to a a place where they create work that 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 touches the general public and that, that the general public in turn appreciates and and you know acts upon so i think you know um to have some sort of effect positive effect on culture as bill burnback said you know um advertising that rather than brutalizing the world um, enhances it elevates it in some way well, Orlando, I think you are well on the way towards your legacy, in fact. Um, so, uh, so they're all power to you for that. So, uh, no, we, we we are out of time. It has, as I've said a couple of times, been an absolute masterclass. Uh, and I think you have given a lot of stimulus to folks towards making ever better advertising. If I, if I reflect on what we've talked about, I think um, you've talked about fame, feeling, fluency, left brain, right brain, a number of constructs which help to codify some of the ingredients of good advertising brackets never to be automated through ai so that's not that's not the point of the codification exercise um but, but but beyond that i think you gave us some more generalizable insights into the way that we work as humans um i particularly loved the point about having needing patience for creativity and just that thought tr- trust yourself that something will emerge i think that's that's quite profound and, and not only in advertising, let's be honest. Um, the role of intuition, uh, backing yourself in your judgment um, and going for things that you know may, may feel slightly incongruous. Uh, and then more than anything, um, we are people, we are complex, we are not things. Uh, and we do well never to forget that. So we, did, we didn't get any piano in. In the end, oh, sorry about that. Um, it, it was it was uh, it was poorer for that, but it was still brilliant. Oh, thank uh, you. So, so thank thank you, Orlando. And uh, in a world where you say we need to hold many thoughts and ideas in our minds, I think you've given us a few things to think about. So thank you for your time this, this Absolute morning. Absolute pleasure. Thanks Good. for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Orlando. And just for, for final final note from me, really is is I'm going to use my right brain right brain for a second, and the anecdotes that you talked of. Time with your dad watching adverts, the lunches that you have, yeah. keeping the door closed uh, to just play around as the Beatles did. Wonderful. All of those things, you know, you lived and breathed um, the, the the thinking that you infuse in your advertising. But all those anecdotes are the things that really stayed, stayed with me. And uh, it's just such an absolute pleasure to have you on. Honestly, boys. Okay.